Take your Bibles, go to Hebrews chapter 5 is where we're going to end up. It's going to take us a little bit to get there, but we will get there as you're turning. Just a couple of quick things. First, um, coming up this coming Friday night, November 10th at 7 p.m. here, we will be having a night of worship. So our worship team will come together and lead us that night in a time of singing, in a, in a time of reflection, in a time of prayer. And we will do that as a church family here Friday night at 7 and then Sunday night, November 12th. That's next Sunday at 6.30 p.m. We'll be having a time of elder-led prayer here at the church as well. So we invite you to come and pray with the elders, have the elders pray for you. It's a great opportunity for us just to bear one another's burdens as we lift them and carry them to the throne of, of, of grace. I want to thank you for your patience with us this morning. Um, you take the combination of baptisms, you take the combination of a, a Ravens game that starts a little bit later, and then you take a daylight savings time and everybody shows up to the 9 o'clock. So praise Jesus. Thanks for being here. Uh, we're, we're a little packed. It's all right. And, and, and as a church, I mean, our greatest strength without question is seamless transitions. So thanks for enduring those as well. Um, we are in Hebrews chapter 5. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 10, and then we're going to jump in together. Hebrews chapter 5, I'll start reading in, in verse 1. It says this, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed in matters pertaining to God for the people to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he is also clothed with weakness. Because of this, he must make an offering for his own sins as well as for the people. No one takes this honor on himself. Instead, a person is called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ didn't exalt himself to become high priest, but, but God who said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. During his earthly life, Jesus offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and after he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. He was declared by God a high priest according to the order of of Melchizedek. I know you're all like, who's Melchizedek? Come back in January and I will tell you. Uh, we've got some, some waiting we have to do as we work through our book of Hebrews together. I want to answer this question instead this morning in the time that we have left, and it's this. Why in the world was a high priest needed to begin with? I mean, this, this passage lays out, okay, there's, there are these different high priests, and, and Jesus has become a high priest. Why does it even matter? Why did we need a high priest? Here's the answer. If you're taking notes, this is the notes. You ready? Because God is holy and you're not. God is holy and you're not. And you see that all the way through the stories of Scripture. You see it in Exodus chapter 19 as Moses is getting ready to go up the, the top of the mountain to receive the law from God. And God says to Moses, listen, I'm going to give you some instructions that are going to save your people because I am holy and they're not. So what I want you to do is I want you to draw a line around the mountain. I want you to mark off the mountain so that nobody dares cross over that line and touch the mountain. And then I want your people to take two days and I want them to clean themselves up. I want them to offer the sacrifice. I want them to purify themselves. I want them to, to bathe themselves. I want them to abstain from all sexual immorality. And then on the third day, what's going to happen is I, this is God speaking, I am going to descend on top of that mountain and I'm going to come in a cloud and you're going to see fire. You're going to see smoke. There'll be an earthquake. It's going to be like a volcanic eruption all contained in this one spot as your people stay away from the edge of the mountain because if they touch the mountain, they will die. 
And if you see somebody come close to touching the mountain, you should murder them. God says stone them or shoot them with an arrow. Don't let them touch the mountain. That's how holy God is. I think it's, it's funny to me after, that's Exodus 19. You get to Exodus 20 and what happens is, is Moses uh, unveils the law, Ten Commandments as we know it to the people. And the people's reaction after hearing the law and looking at that mountain doing its thing, God's presence on it. I mean, it's just, it's just, a, it's just all on fire. There's volcano, there's, there's stuff happening and they're freaking out. And they witnessed the thunder, the lightning, the sound of the ram's horn, the mountain surrounded by smoke. And the people, they saw it, they trembled, and they stood at a distance, refusing to draw near. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. And the people's response was this. The people remained standing at a distance. Don't be afraid. Yeah, okay. I love, I love, well, I'm careful I don't lie. I love the idea of pit bulls. Little balls of muscle. Just like, I mean, they're Looney Tune cartoon dogs, aren't they? Like a <laughs> and, and I love the concept of them. But if I don't know, I mean, I know a couple of pit bulls that I'll just, I'll go over and I'll tussle their ears and not even be afraid of them. But you give me a strange pit bull that I've never seen before, and you could, as much as you want to say, come on, don't worry about it. You know, now, looks nice from over here. They said to the people, no, don't just draw near to the mountain. No, no, no. We saw the visible representation of the holiness of God arrive on that mountain. God is unapproachable because he is holy and we are not. Revelation chapter 1, you see John see the glory of the risen Christ. And as soon as he sees the glory of the risen Christ, he falls on his face as if he were a dead man. He is holy, and we are not. Isaiah 6, Isaiah comes and, and sees the, the, the radiant glory of God filling the temple. Isaiah, Isaiah, the holiest man of his time, comes into contact with the brightness of God's glory as it fills the temple, and he says, oh, no, I'm dead. I'm unclean. God's holy and I'm not. 1 Timothy 6, Paul reminds us that God alone is immortal and lives in unapproachable light. Now God's not hidden from us in unapproachable darkness, but he's unapproachable light. Our problem isn't that we can't find God. He's not hiding. Our problem is that we can't draw close to him on our own. So as you walk through the Bible, you continue to find over and over again that the man at his best is unable to stand in the presence of God. So to answer the question, why do we need a high priest? Because God is holy and we are not. So we are given a high priest. It's a gift from God in the Old Testament so that sinful man can approach a holy God. But even more than that, we're given this high priest so that a holy God can live among his sinful people without destroying them. The answer in the Old Testament is how, how, how can we do this? We do this by keeping a distance from God. And, and, and God will provide the priests and the sacrifices and the, the offerings for forgiveness. The answer is that God created a way. Verse 1 of chapter 5, that's the job description of the high priest. He's taken from among men. He's appointed in matters pertaining to God for the people to offer both gifts and sacrifices for, for sins. 
the high priest oversaw the gifts, the sacrifices, the offerings that were to appease the righteous anger of God upon an unholy people. The high priest's main function came but one time a year on the Day of Atonement. As he would, as he would gather the nation together at the, the, the present, the, 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 the temple, the tabernacle, and he would, he would bring uh, the, the people together and say, bring, bring me two of those goats, and one goat would come, and the other goat would come, and then they would draw lots, and, and it was like, okay, so which one is the sacrifice, and which one is the other one? Oh, this one, you win? I don't know if you win. You're coming in, you are our sacrifice, and then the high priest would lay his hand on the head of the other goat. He would confess the sins of the nation of Israel for the previous year. Father, we have been so rebellious. We have served other gods. We have not consulted you as we should. We have run from you instead of to you. We have trusted ourselves. We, we have looked on others with lust. We have been adulterous. We have been murderers. We have been thieves. We have been liars. We have been disobedient to our parents. And then one person would take that goat into the wilderness and, hey, hey! The goat would run away, picturing what Jesus would do for us later on the cross, carrying our sins away from us. That other goat who won the lottery is led to the altar where the high priest slits its throat and bleeds it out, sprinkles the blood on the altar, on the mercy seat, on the holy of holies. It was the high priest's job to be that mediator, to communicate between God and the people, to worship and lead worship, to sacrifice and sacrifice for his people, particularly on that day. And, and, and what Hebrews 5 tells us is this position of high priest wasn't like a, 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 a job um, goal. It wasn't a promotion. You had to be born into the right family, the family of Aaron, the right lineage, the tribe of Levi, you had to have no physical defects, and then God himself had to call you to the position of being a high priest. And what Hebrews 5 tells us is what we know as we read scripture. The high priests were painfully human. Verse 3 says, because they were human, he must make an offering for his own sins as well as his people. Before he could do anything for the people, he had to make sure he himself was, was right before God. There was nothing different about the high priest morally that they were still in the process of being sanctified. They were, they were still growing in their own maturity, in their own walk with God. They were still fighting the fight of people-pleasing or wrestling with their own darkened hearts. They, they were still absolutely human. <laughs> One of the greatest errors in human history is when we elevate people too much put them on a pedestal that they don't deserve to stand on or can't possibly bear the weight of. People who are sinners, people who fall, and those people will fail. You know that just by watching the news. You know that by listening to stories or podcasts of pastors who have failed around the country. You know that from our own history, and quite honestly, you know that because you know me. I promise you, I will fail you, probably before the end of this message, if I haven't already. And I, Lord willing, I will apologize, and I will set myself underneath the, the counsel of godly people that God has placed in my life, and I will attempt to get back up again with God's strength. But if you are sitting here thinking this morning, that's it right there, up on the stage with a microphone attached to his bald head yelling at us, that's it right there. I, 
can't imagine him falling. Let me, first of all, let me introduce you to my wife. She can tell you a few stories. And second, just be reminded, you, you, you sit here for 35 minutes a week. That's 2.5% of my Sunday. It's less than a half percent of my entire week. You don't see me in my counseling sessions. You don't hear some of the confessions I have to make. But let's, let's move it off of me. Every human being, no matter how amazing you may think them to be, no matter what position they may hold, uh, no matter what honor has been given to them, every single human being is a sinner. Please be careful. Don't elevate a person. They will fail you. I will fail you. We will fail you. The high priest failed their people. Over time, they grew more and more corrupt, selling out to, to, to the power and prestige, uh, money, and, and in so doing, what they did is they left their people who were counting on them without what they needed, that mediating position, that mediator, that, that one to bring them into the presence of God. And so what you find is you read the Bible. Why do we need a high priest? We need a high priest because God's holy and we are not. And, and, and then, and then the, what, what the high priests that have been provided in the Old Testament have fallen way short, horribly short of what we needed. So then what do we need? We need a greater high priest. And that's what Hebrews tells us we have. Because the Father sent this one after the order of Melchizedek. Again, it's going to come up again in chapter 6, chapter 7, and we're going to deal specifically with it when we get to chapter 7 on Melchizedek, which will be in January. So if you're like, I've always wondered, come back in January, and I won't answer your question then as opposed to now. Um, but this priest that Jesus, the lineage of Jesus, wasn't of the normal priesthood lineage, the family of Aaron, the tribe of Levi. This is... This is the priesthood of Jesus in Melchizedek. And just to suffice it to say, I'll just give you a little picture of it. The, the lineage of Melchizedek means this. The priesthood of Jesus is eternal, authoritative, and perfect. What kind of high priest is Jesus? Well, you can see pictures of his, his high priestness throughout his ministry. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, a man comes to him in absolute hysterics, as you can imagine. Because his little girl is dying at home, if not already dead. And he begs Jesus, would you please just come to my home? I know if you come to my home, she will live, Jairus says. And Jesus, in an incredible act of compassion, leaves what he's doing and begins his journey towards Jairus' home to, to heal this young girl. Now, Jesus had been in the middle of teaching, and so he was absolutely surrounded by humanity. There was people pressing up against people. It was absolutely way non-COVID requirements. There were things happening that, that just you had no control over. And here is Jesus making his way, and people are pushing, and people are shoving. And suddenly, in the, in the middle of this chaos, this cacophony of noise and, and flesh, Jesus stops and says, somebody touched me. Who was it? And the disciples are like, maybe better ask, who hasn't touched you? No, no, no. Somebody touched me. I want to know who it was. That's what kind of high priest he is. This woman had been suffering with an issue of blood for more than 12 years, who had spent all of her money on every known medical procedure that there was. 
because of her medical condition, an unclean woman who was not to be, not just not around Jesus, but not to be around other people. She did not belong in that crowd. But she said, Jesus is my only hope. Jesus is my only answer. This is the only thing that I have left. I've tried everything else. So perhaps even if I touch the hem of his garment, she crawls her way through the crowd, reaches up and touches Even though she shouldn't have done it. Even though she had been looked down upon and, and, and rightly declared unclean. Even though she had nothing to offer. Even though Jesus didn't even know that he healed her. He knew, Jesus, I know. You can almost say he accidentally healed her, but can Jesus really do it? I mean, yeah, that you could blow up your head doing that, right? <laughs> but that's our high priest. That's our Jesus. In the middle of that chaos, he, he stopped and he had a conversation with this woman who everybody else had given up on. That's what kind of high priest he is. Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 10. Jesus is sitting and teaching another crowd. His popularity is growing. His disciples seemed very concerned about his popularity. They wanted to make sure it continued and that nothing got in the way of the momentum. And he continued to teach. And as he is teaching, moms and dads are trying to fight through the crowd, carrying their children to, like, throw them at Jesus. And the disciples are like, no, 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 not today. No, get your kid out of here. We don't have time for kids. We're trying to do the work of the kingdom here. Back off. And Jesus hears that. Knock it off. You let those kids over here. That's the kind of high priest Jesus is. We keep going in the Mark chapter 10, and what you find is Jesus is teaching and walking along the way, and the crowds are around him, and there's this blind, poor beggar named Bartimaeus on the side of the road. And as Jesus is passing by, he, Bartimaeus hears that it's Jesus, and he cries out, Son of David, mercy on me. You know what the disciples in the crowd do? They threaten Bartimaeus. You stop yelling. He wants nothing to do with your type. Don't you dare interrupt him. Don't get in his way. We're trying to do work of the kingdom here. They had missed the point. And Jesus taught them and he stopped. In the busyness of setting up the kingdom, show his disciples that stopping for the blind beggar is the sort of thing the kingdom of Jesus is all about. I do find it interesting that I think Bartimaeus' experience is often our experience. When we try to approach Jesus with all of our mess, with all of our imperfection, without cleaning ourselves up first, and we just try to run to Jesus and, and proclaim, Son of David, have mercy on me, that, that the response we hear first usually isn't from Jesus or other believers, it's from Satan himself whispering in our ear, don't you know who you are? Don't bother him. You ever had that happen when you're praying? When you're going back to him for the umpteenth time about that sin that you just can't get victory over, that sin you just keep falling face first into, it's like, Jesus, I just need your forgiveness. I need, I need, and as you're in mid-sentence, and Satan whispers just a little bit of, do you really mean that? Come on, you know you're going to do it again. Don't bother the king. Don't, don't waste your time bringing another offering or sacrifice. 
stops and says, no, 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 Bartimaeus, come here. What do you want me to do for you, he asks. That's what kind of high priest he is. What, what would you like me to do for you? I heard your cry. I heard your call. You've done nothing to earn my attention. What is it that I can do for you? That's what kind of high priest he is. Well, God is holy and we are not. And because of his holiness and because of our sin, we can't approach him on our own. Jesus Christ, because he came and lived that perfect life and died the death we should have died and rose again from the dead, he is now our high priest and he is totally approachable. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Turn back a page if you need to. Because that's the point. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. That's your high priest priest because of what who he is and, and what he's done you can have boldness and courage to approach him freely and he understands exactly what you've been through because he has been through it man i tell you what i don't know how your morning went but jesus has had bad days jesus has experienced his best friends running from him jesus has experienced betrayal on a level you and i will never know Jesus has experienced a heartbreak that you and I will never know. Jesus understands so you can come into his presence without waiting. You don't need to clean yourself up first. Praise God for that. Let him clean you up. Come with confidence. Come boldly. Approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. Think about it this way. It, this, this, this illustration completely falls apart if you press it too far, so please don't. You and I don't stand in line when we come into his presence. Is there anything worse than standing in line? I hate standing in lines. I, I end up, actually, that's, that's probably why God lets me stand in so many lines. I need the sanctification of standing in a line. I do far better if I'm standing in line alone, which sounds weird. If I'm standing in line with somebody I know and trust, I tend to complain just loud enough for everybody else to hear it. Not very holy, like. Um, <laughs> I think there's times where I stand in line, even at like a Starbucks or a Dunkin' Donuts or wherever. You, I stand in line, it's just me, and I'm like, all right. So when I get up there, I'm going to try to make a joke to kind of break the tension because I'm feeling irritated. So I know I need a little bit of humor in my life. So I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that, and I get to the line, and it's like, and the whole time I'm working myself into anxiety. Have you, may, maybe I'm alone on this. You need to pray for me. <laughs> it's more far better if I just open the door, walk to the front, and I'm like, yeah, I would like an Americano. That's, a, that, that's just a shot of espresso in water. Not hard. Okay. People hate that drink. I particularly enjoy it. It's what made all my hair fall out, I think. That's all I want. But if I'm standing in line, it's like, all right, I'm going to go up and be like, all right, listen, hey, I'll take a, uh, let's see, what's a good funny joke? Ha ha, Starbucks joke. Ha, I'll take a cup of dirty water. $7, you say? Nah, that's not a good thing to say. I, Jesus says, don't stand in line worrying about what you're going to say to me. You just come to me. There is no line. You get to approach me freely. You ready? I promise you, I love you all. I really do. 
prayed for you a lot this week. But I can have a line of 12 of you waiting to talk to me after the service. That grandbaby of mine ain't waiting in line. She, she, she's going to walk right up. Woo! And once she can learn to say my name, you all might as well just go home because I ain't coming back. She ain't waiting. Because that's my grandbaby. That little girl's, no. And somehow she didn't find grandmom already, so she's coming to me. That's a miracle. She ain't waiting in line. You don't wait in line, brother, sister. You go right into his presence. Isn't that pictures this way, right? I'm here. Where is he? You're kicking angels out of the way. Get me to Jesus. And you're running into his presence. And as you are blowing by the angelic beings, as you're running to see Jesus, the angels aren't talking about you as you go by them. Wow. Do you know who that was? Uh uh. They're saying, whoa. There's another one of Jesus' kids. Jesus sure is good that he would save somebody like that. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your week was like. I do know that our church was heavy on my heart this week. I have no understanding, even in the slightest, of what ups and downs or where you are in that, that whole up and down journey that is the walk of faith. But I know this. We have a great high priest in heaven. His name is Jesus. And Jesus Christ is not forming lines for you to stand in, but instead waits to hear from you and understands everything that you're going through absolutely perfectly, and he waits to give us help in time of need. And he's doing that not because of who you are, doing that because of who he is. Thank God. Thank God for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank God for our greater high priest. Thank God that we have an audience with the King of Kings. Let's make much of that. Father, thanks so much for the promise of your word. Thank you even greater than the promise of your word is the truth of the Savior that we serve. Thank you that in Jesus Christ, that there is no condemnation. So I pray for brothers and sisters in Christ right now who might be wrestling with coming into your presence thinking that they don't deserve an audience with you. Lord, I pray that you would just remind them again that in Christ it has been taken care of, that they have been purchased, that their sins have been forgiven, that they have been freed. And God, I ask that they would come into your presence with boldness and receive that mercy, receive that grace. Lord, we, we know you are holy and we are not, and there is no way we come on our own holiness. So we thank you for the open door that you've left for us. Thanks for Jesus kicking down the wall for us. May we be quick to run to it again. Thank you for Christ. In his matchless name I pray.